as you heard, as a church, we are, what we do normally every term of the year, we start off the first week or second week of the term with a prayer and fasting time. And it's not to just try to get rid of stuff. And it's, it's more so to focus on Jesus. And so fasting is actually a time of feasting on the Lord. It's not just depriving ourselves from something. And so we, we want to really encourage you. We, we've worked on, on notes for every day that you can focus on terms of what, what it is that we'd like you to pray into. And it's going to be primarily, obviously, praying into King City Church and what God has for us. But, but one of the things that we're going to be praying for, or actually the whole week, every single day there's a different focus. There's a different church that we're using from the New Testament that we're going to use their example to learn from and to see what we can pray from their example. Um, for instance, we're going to be using the church of Ephesus and the church of Colossae and the church in uh, Corinth to pray into. And so the aim is to learn from these churches and to pray the relevant prayers that we have given you to pray into. So please, it's not just, you know, trying to work through rituals. It's not at all that. It's a time of focusing on what God has for us. And the first example that we're going to be looking at tomorrow is a city that is most mentioned in the Bible. Actual fact, 800 times. I didn't count that. I just got that from, uh, from information. But it's mentioned 800 times in the Bible. Most well-known city in the Bible, which is? Bilbao. So somebody said Bilbao. It's like, <laughs> which Bible are you reading? <laughs> um, anybody? Sir? Jerusalem, of course. Jerusalem is an amazing um, city. And, and so we're going to look at this, the, the church that was planted in Jerusalem. But Jerusalem in itself is, is, a, is a city that is mentioned way back in, in Genesis, actually. When a man called Abraham went to a king called King well, he was actually also later known as a priest, uh, Melchizedek. So you with me, Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Uh-huh. Um, it said that was the king of Salem. Melchizedek was the king of Salem, which became known as the city of Jerusalem. And so Genesis 14 already, you find reference to, to this amazing city. We read that in 2 Kings, it's the only city in the Bible and hence from there that God said, I have put my name on that city, the city of Jerusalem. We find that today Jerusalem is held in high regard by three of the major world religions, Islam, Judaism, and of course Christianity. So Jerusalem is a, is a famous city in, in that regard. So obviously we see that, that God had set up this city to be quite significant. And um, its significance is, is derived from more than what I've just mentioned to you. And it's, it was the city where Jesus was crucified. Correct? It's also the city that, that before Jesus left the earth, he told his disciples that there would be something very significant that would take place. And that Holy Spirit would be sent. And once this happens, that they should start preaching the gospel, the news of him. And Jesus left from that city. He was crucified in that city. He left from that city. And Holy Spirit came to the disciples that were waiting for him in that city. Quite a remarkable feature of. Jerusalem. So 10 days after Jesus had left, we see this amazing thing happen. Remember, it was 40 days after he was res res resurrected that he left. And then another 10 days later, we find this amazing thing happening as the disciples were waiting, as they were told to wait on the promise, which was going to be a person, Holy Spirit. 10 days after Jesus had left, this moment took place where Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples and the followers of Jesus as they were waiting in the upper room. And we know what happened. They were filled with the Spirit. They started speaking in tongues and people were like, whoa, what's happening? This is weird. And as they were filled with His power, we see that something disappeared and that was 
this fear of man. Because Peter, the same man that denied Jesus knowing him, stood up and preached the gospel. And, and, and that moment after people heard the gospel, he told them what to do. 3,000 people got saved. 3,000. And that's what we now understand to be the start of the church. So what you and I are celebrating today, not just this gathering, but the fact that we are people together called the church of Jesus, started that day. Ten days after Jesus left in the city of Jerusalem. Quite an incredible place. So the place of death, Jesus dying, also became the place of birth. The church was birthed. And what seemed to be a real disaster and devastation that had hit the world, Jesus dying, actually became a place of victory, Jesus being resurrected from the dead, but also something new birthed, and that's what we call the church. And I found this incredible portion of Scripture that really speaks into this, and that's what I want to encourage you today, because really today is, is, is what we want to help one another celebrate again, is that the, we as a church, KCC, and by the way, the friends from Harare understand, and, and people from wherever that are not necessarily part of KCC, thanks for being here. We want to just help us as a body focus again on what is our vision. What has God called us to? And we can't take the whole day for that. That's why we call this our vision Sunday. But there's something beautiful in John chapter 12, if I can ask you to turn there with me, that speaks into this whole thing of something that died brought something new to be birthed. And so John chapter 12, beautiful portion where Jesus is speaking, and uh, I'm going to read to you from chapter 12 and verse 12. So that's easy, 12, 12, all right? says in verse 12, The next day the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now you must know that they thought that he was going to politically, militarily rescue them. They thought this is going to be their day, be rescued from the rule of the Romans. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. He's trying to contradict that they were expecting that. He was like, hey, he's going to be this king coming in as a donkey. I mean, it's so upside down kingdom. He came in as a donkey and as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. I'm sure none of us would have. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Verse 17 says, The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done the sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Amazing that the Greeks are mentioned, eh? Praise the Lord for the Greeks. Amen. I just want to mention that to my friend. <laughs> I've got Greek friends, I just want to say. I'm, I'm very, very blessed. Verse 21, it says, So these, these Greeks, came to Philip, who was were from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So as Jesus heard this, that, hey, there were some Greeks wanting to see me, it was not so much about the Greeks so much. It was actually about what was about to happen to Jesus, that he said, listen, listen to this. In verse 23 it says, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, I, truly, and when Jesus says truly, truly, you've got to know truly there's something important coming, isn't it? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, 
And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, Jesus is saying, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor me. So Jesus was obviously speaking of his imminent death. And in the light of people wanting to speak to him and ask him questions, he's saying, listen, the time has come for this to happen. I've got to prepare you for what is about to take place. And so exactly what happened when he died is what he describes here. That unless something dies, it cannot bear fruit. And so what fruit came from his death, we know, is salvation. Unless Jesus physically went to die, none of us would be here this morning. I'm telling you that. That's a fact. Salvation had come because of one man saying, I'm willing. And so, just as much as death took place in Jerusalem that time, I want to say to you that life came when people got to know who He is. As much as He's speaking about death, life was the thing that really took place afterwards. And so the context of the city is exactly the same for us today. The city of the city of Jerusalem needed life, and it needed somebody to die, and Jesus did that. And that life has been made available to every town, village, and city all across the world. And that life is still available for the city of Bulawayo, and by the way, for Harare. <laughs> we don't want to leave leave them out, eh? And if there are any Guerroians here around you, we'll also include you. Just <laughs> you see. But this is the thing for us as a church this morning, is that Jesus said these amazing things that, you know, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That there's this radical call on our lives to do what Jesus had done himself. We, we feel as a church that God has called us. We have the simple slogan that says to know him and to make him known but part of that requires death to take place we know that jesus had died we don't have to die for our own salvation but we've got to take up our cross and follow him as what he did but this is not easy this is definitely a hard thing to do but we've got to take moments out. And that's why we do this again at the beginning of the year and say, why do we exist as a church? Do we just like to come together on a Sunday and have a bit of coffee and have a nice preach and good music and then go home and feel, oh, that's great. Tick the box. I did it. Or maybe twice a month I'll do it and then I'll feel better about myself. And No, no, no. Church is not a gathering. Church is a people. And church is a people who have sacrificed themselves just as their master had clearly shown them. You see, unless we die to ourselves, there's no fruit that can come forth. And if we don't bear fruit, there's no life that can be shown to this world. Jesus is not coming back to die again. He's done it. He's shown us the example. The question is now, are we going to be willing to follow? And what is out there in the world is, is already right there on our doorstep. We'll always say that when we leave this moment we go into our mission field we go to where people are in need of God that are far from God and part of who we are is to love Jesus and to love the people that are far from God and you know there are staggering staggering figures and statistics that exist across the world of people that are just far from God it's so difficult to actually look at that within a Zimbabwe context because people say, you know, 80% of the people go to, are, are believers and are Christian. I don't believe that, by the way. <laughs> I think that's just, a, that's just a figure or a statistic that try to make us actually feel good. And we're like, wow, that's wonderful. But there are so many people that are just not serving Jesus. And that's not a condemnation. It's just a reality. But if you look at figures across the world, I've got a slide up here just to show you something. The next slide. I don't know how many of you have heard of the 1040 window. How many of you know about the 1040 window? Just show me by your hands. Like there are five of you. It's staggering. And I'm not trying to, you know, condemn you. I'm just saying, you know what this means is that the latitude 10 and 40 degrees, there's this, this, this uh, rectangular shape 
of, of nations in this that are Islamic, Hinduist, Buddhist, and non-religious people. This consists of about 70% of the people that don't know God. That means just they don't have a clue of who Jesus is. And currently, about 30% of the world are Christian. But even in that, we don't have, can believe that to be a true figure. Because people say, well, I, I have some knowledge of Christ, therefore I'm Christian. But a Christ follower is a Christian. That's why I actually prefer the word follower of Jesus. It means that I've laid down my life for him. I've done what Jesus talks about here. So currently we see, this is just a simple thing. I'm not saying go and move into those countries. By the way, if you need to, go, and God calls you, go, go, go. You've got to go. But even around us here in Bulawayo, there are people that are far from God. And so part of our mission as a church is to make a difference in a world where people are far from God. And there's just one illustration. This is the 1040 window that missiologists have termed. It is the major area in the world where Christianity is very, very weak in terms of church presence. There are over 7,500 7, um, unreached people groups in the world at the moment. It's huge. It's a vast number of people. But the point is this, that what Jesus was saying, and that's the next slide I want you to read with me. John 12, verse 20. To 26, already from verse 24. Jesus did not share this for our information, but for our imitation. And I think sometimes this is where we struggle. We, we, we are happy for, with the information. It's like, man, that's great information, Jesus. I love it. I love it when you say these things. They're like, that's amazing. He says, no, I didn't say them to you to just tickle your ears. I said them to you to let it become your lifestyle. Like, ah, okay. It's a little bit different, don't you believe? Agree? That, that he's calling on us to imitate him, to copy him, to do what he had also done. And we don't need to go to a physical cross. What I'm saying, he's saying, is that we've got to consider our lives not important for ourselves, but for him. And as a church, that is why we exist. We're going to come back to, again, the basic of the basics. That we exist to glorify Him. So within this portion, I want to suggest to you this morning, there are four hard things and there are four glorious things. So we're going to start first with the four hard, four hard things. Is that okay? You're ready. Buckle up because for, for this session, you're going to need your, your, your um, safety belt on. It's going to be tough. All right? Look at your neighbor and say, are you going to be all right? I'll be there for you. Just reassure them that they will be fine. All right? But it's going to be tough. So let's read again. Jesus saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and does what? Dies. Say with me again that word. Die. Jeez. And dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I want to suggest to you the, the first hard thing that we need to consider is that. Is dying to ourselves. Now, now Jesus, he does these incredible things in the Bible. He uses just simple illustrations to help us understand how we ought to live our lives. And, and these are not just, again, to tickle our ears. It's, again, about imitating what he said we should be doing. And so he's talking about just this grain of wheat. If it, if it remains in I mean, this is a beautiful packet of wheat, isn't it? It's like amazing. But it has no value unless I take one out, which you can barely see, and I reposition it into this pot Put it in there and put it in the soil and let it lie there. And, and in there, it's, it will have the potential to now germinate and, and become a wheat plant that would have more kernels and so on produced and so on and so on. 
But the point is, is, is that unless I take it out there, where it's kind of like safe, and put it in there so that it can, it won't die, it'll not come to life again, it will not have any value. It needs to be detached from the head and buried into the ground by someone like a farmer, and then it will have the chance of producing more grain or be fruitful. You and I are not supposed just to come born again and like, oh, put me in this nice little cozy packet or bag or community where I can just, oh, it'll be so nice just to be comfortable. Now he is repositioning us. And that is not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing where we decide that the pathway that the Lord chose is the pathway that I need to choose. Where I say, Lord, position me in you the way that you want me to. Take me away from my comforts and my preferred way of lifestyle and put me where you want me to be, in you. By the way, that's a beautiful thing that Paul teaches us in the New Testament is that you have been put in Christ. And that's where we come alive. So you can be born again and have testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. But unless you die to yourself like we read here, God's design for us is to let our lives germinate, to become fruitful. But it's only possible in the context of His will. What I say, Lord, not my will be done, but your will. Somebody said this once. There is no one saved who is not being called forth into transformation and change. That's the next. Can you put that up, please? There's no one saved. There's no one. There's no one saved. If you are saved here this morning, and you have a testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. There's no one saved who is not also being called forth into transformation and change. You cannot stay the same. And we start off this 2024 again with reminding ourselves, hey guys, we cannot stay the same. You cannot be the same man. You cannot be the same woman. You cannot be the same young person that you were a couple of weeks, months ago. We have to change. And the change is only possible if we position ourselves in the will of God. Say, so God, put me where you want me to be. And do in me that what you want to do. That's dying to myself and saying, not my will, Lord God. I want to be used by you. I want to see this glorious thing that we'll talk about just now. Of seeing change come, fruit to my life. But Lord, I cannot let it happen if I stay in control. I've got to die to myself. And one of the big things that we tell one another in this is don't bury yourself, plant yourself. Bury means we separate ourselves and we just go into a little corner and like hide. But I want to plant myself in the will of God and say, God, whatever is important to you is what is important to me. I want to plant myself in your will. What is the will of God? It's not a place. It's not a position. It is a person that we become. We so often just connect the will of God to what we should do with our lives and where we should do that and when we should do it. No, the will of God starts with associating yourself with who Jesus is and becoming the person that He wants you to be. That's where transformation is so important. And that's not really nice talking. Well, I just want to tell you what Jesus says, all right? If you don't like it, talk to Jesus. He says, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Well done, guys, for running around. We just, let's appreciate the guys that are just serving us in this way. I want to say to hate one's life is used here by Jesus to indicate that we should love Christ more than what we love ourselves and our own interests. So just before you get upset with me, Jesus would say the same. He said, you've got to hate your father and your mother. He's like, ha! Then you say, well, we've got to love one another. And how does that work? No, he says, you've got to love me more than what you love them. And you've got to love me more than what you love yourself. So again, how are you doing? Don't answer. He says, you've got to hate yourself. He does not provide an alternative shortcut from this. It's not a, a let's try an easy way. And this is part of the wheat of grain falling 
to the ground, dying so that it can produce life. And part of me dying is to say, God, I will love you more than what I love myself. Lord, I have these interests. I have these desires. I have these preferences. But Lord, I lay them aside so that your will be done more than my will. That's what hating ourselves is. And this is pretty difficult. How many of you love that? Yeah, amen. Preach it, brother. I'm going to hate myself. Nobody even said amen, did you? It's like, no, it's not an amen moment. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that stuff. Just kind of fast forward a bit, BC. So Jesus says he chose this. He preferred the Father's will for him and died to his own interest. When you dream about your future, does God fit into that or just yourself and your family? Just simple questions. When you plan your future, when you save for your future, when you work for your future, does God fit into that or not? Gotta love Him more. Jesus said the third hard thing here. If anyone serves me, if anyone serves me, serving is, is, is such a natural thing for us as humans, isn't it? Or is it, yeah, pick me, I want to serve. No, it doesn't come naturally. Jesus said, this is where the meaning of life is found. Is that we, we, we get saved not to see what we can gain from it, but what we can give from it. It's dying to myself. It's being ready to, to live for His honor and for His service. I've entered into service of the King. I think there's so many things in this world that help us to understand that sometimes better because we sign up for something. In a sense, that's what this, this Sunday is, is a sign-up Sunday. You're signing up for, for life dedicated to Him. And we remind each other that, that the best thing that you can do is to sign up. We, we, we sign up. I, used, I remember having to go, I was, a lot of you, lot of you, those of you that don't know, I come from South Africa. I did two years of military service, conscripted. I didn't sign up. They signed me up. I had no, interest, uh, no will in it and, and no choice in it. I was signed up by somebody else. But in the kingdom of God, he says, I want you to sign up. He gives you the choice. And the benefits are incredibly out of this world. But you've got to sign up. I had no choice. So for two years, we had to do unto Caesar as what. Caesar expected on, of us. And Caesar wasn't a pleasant guy. He shouted at us. He swore at us. He made us do things that we didn't like. But I never signed up. The moment you become aware of God and His grace for you, and your heart is, is affected by the love of God, there's something that happens in you, and you, many of you will understand what this is. Then your heart responds to him, and you say, I want to sign up. And I don't just want to sign up for heaven. I want to sign up for, for life on earth dedicated to him, to my king. That is what it means to serve the king, that you give your life away. You say, this is for you, king. I'll now live for you. I'll now serve you. That's the third heart. The fourth heart thing is, says, you're going to serve me, and then he must follow me. And once again, we, when we declare that we're willing to serve him, the outcome of that is that we follow him. We, we watch him. Following somebody is not just flippantly saying, hey, uh, listen, I'll follow you. It's like when you drive behind another vehicle and they're telling you, listen, follow me. You are going to stay close to them. You don't know where they need to go and where they are. And if you're particularly in a place where you have no idea where you are, you stay close to the person in front of you. Isn't it true? And, and I think in this world full of its maze of craziness, you've you got to follow. You and I have got to follow Jesus. You've got to stick close to Him. You've got to listen to what He says. You've got to read what He spoke. We've got to follow what He describes we ought to be living and how we ought to. That's a following close to Him. Following Him is not merely just saying that I'm a follower, but I have no idea where my master is. Following means that I closely watch my master. I study Him. I imitate him. I obey him. I listen to him. I love him. I prefer his ways to mine. This is a pretty hard thing to do. Pretty hard thing to do. 
but it is what you and I have been called to do. It's not impossible. It is possible. But we've got to sign up for it. Then the good news. <laughs> Praise the Lord for good news. Amen? But this is part of good news, giving ourselves up. It's not bad news. It's good news when you die to yourself. The glorious things, the glorious fruit is what Jesus then describes to us forthcoming. He says in verse 24 again, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. What a glorious thing to know that if we die to ourselves, if I give up my rights, it's the most pleasant thing, the most amazing thing to do. And we've got to celebrate that, not just, oh, shame. You know what? This guy just became a born-again believer. Shame. He's given up his rights. Oh, what a sad thing. That's an incredible thing that's happening. We've got to celebrate that and, and, and just go moggy almost. Bearing much fruit. Fruit comes from doing the above. Fruit that would make him get glory and no glory to me. So the fruit that you and I bear is not about giving us recognition, but it's giving Him all the glory and the recognition. The second thing that is a glorious thing from this is in verse 25. It says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So that's it. Keeping our lives for eternity. So much of our effort is trying to keep our lives and make sure that we're okay. But when we give it away, that's the best thing you can do. You're going to keep it. You'll never lose it. There'll always be something that you can enjoy. I love this quote. Years ago, there was a man who was murdered for his faith. A man called Jim Elliot. How many of you have heard of Jim Elliot? It's wonderful. Jim Elliot's quote is like a legendary quote. He said the following, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This, this, this quote has, has impacted my life. And I'm like, God, I, I want to live like this. Jim was like in his 20s and he got killed trying to reach a tribe in the Southern Americas in the Amazon area. Just point blank, they were just killed. Him and three other friends. But this is the stuff that was in his heart when he said, I, I want to live for the king. You don't have to go into the Amazon to serve another tribe to live for the king. You can do it here in Bulawayo. You can do it wherever God positions you. Because firstly, you have become an ear of wheat that have fallen to the ground. And you said, God, do in me what you want to do. Because what I... What I keep, Lord God, I'll actually lose. But he is no fool who gives away what he cannot lose. Amazing. Amazing that we can live in this world with, with this mindset that once we give our lives away, it's the best thing ever. But we live in a world where we're so, so forced in the sins and so challenged to, to hold on to what we think is dear to us. But rather live with this. Give away what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. You cannot keep your life because you will actually lose it if you do. But when you give it away, you will gain something that you will never ever lose. That's what the Bible is so clear about. Jesus said these things not to bring information, but to bring imitation. The third thing that Jesus gives us as a glorious thing is in verse 26. He says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. <laughs> That's what we can, we can live with eternity in mind, not just 2024 20, and 2025 and, and whatever years we, we think we have ahead. We have eternity in our hearts when Jesus is king of our lives. And so nothing can stop us from living with purpose every single day when we die to ourselves and say, Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. And that's what we are supposed to be as a church. This is hard stuff. But we cannot just be trying to tickle each other's ears and try to make ourselves feel comfortable and try to pretend that we are doing the God thing and, 
And in that, we live with selfishness. We live with unforgiveness. We live with hatred. We live with preferences and, and all sorts of things and prejudices in our lives. We got to give it up. We got to give it up. Because eternity in mind says, I've got something that's secure. I don't have to fight for my life. I don't actually have to defend it. I've got eternity in my heart. And that's more important than anything else. The last thing that, that is a glorious thing. I, I don't actually know how to describe this. I've, as I said, just preparing this, I, I said, God, I don't know how this looks like and how it's outworked. It says, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The Father in heaven will honor those that serve him, serve his son, Jesus. How does that look like? We have an idea of what, an idea of how we as human beings honor each other and we recognize and we acknowledge and we appreciate. This is, that's mild in comparison to the Father honoring us. I, I, I could have lived with, an, with a desire and a heart that, that says, Lord, I want to honor you all the time. But here's something that says, this glorious thing that comes upon me that the Father will honor me. I believe the greatest honor that we can have is to call him Father. It's to be called a son and a daughter by him so that I can call him my father. Maybe some of you grew up thinking, I wish that was my dad. I wish that was my mom. Come on. It's like some of you, oh, you know, whoever it may be. Maybe I could have been part of the royal family. <laughs> Maybe some of you dreamt like that. Maybe a well-known personality or an incredibly rich family. I wish I was born into that family. But there's no greater honor, ladies and gentlemen, that you can ever have in life is to be honored by the Father. When He says to you, you're my son. You're my daughter. Not based on anything you've done because of the right lineage and the right time that you were born, the right place and the right family that you were born from or into. It is because of Jesus Christ dying for your sin that you could become a son and a daughter. That's the greatest honor you can have. There's nothing bigger than that. And it's from that honor that we say, God, here's my life. Gee, what a glorious thing, Lord God, to live for you. What a glorious thing. I want to encourage you this morning, King City Church and everybody. The greatest joy that we have is when we give away our lives and we live for a higher purpose, that we live beyond ourselves. And we say, Jesus, there's nothing bigger than living for you. And forgive me for being so selfish, God, where I try to contain, I try to keep my life for myself. I want to live for you. And the best place to start, if you've never done it, Friend, this morning, you started by saying yes to Christ for the sacrifice on the cross for dying for your sins. And part of the purpose of this church is to see people come from being far away from God, coming closer to Him. And our aim is to help you to come closer to God. And if you've never made a decision to come close to God and to, to walk into a relationship with Him and to start that, please let us help you. I implore you this morning. There's nothing bigger than saying, God, here's my life. I want to let it count for you. And I want to also just practically say to you that as a church, there's some practical things that I want to encourage you about as we just lay ahead what, what, what we believe God is really stirring our hearts about. And first of all, it is about souls and transformed lives. We believe, we just carry on to the next slides, please. We've got to live with purpose. But there's some practical things that I want to just present to you is that God has called us to let our hearts yearn for the souls of others who are far from Him. That's why we have those simple prayer cards where you put on a, 
on a name, put a name on a card and just constantly praying for people that are far from God. We got to keep on doing that. We got to keep on letting our lives. Please, could you carry on to the next one? It talks about um, some practical things and the next slide would be souls and transformed lives. We got to let our lives become those transformed lives so that other souls could be impacted by your transformed life. We have people in this city that are desperate for Jesus. We don't have statistics of that, but we know this for a fact. And they're not bad people. They're just people without salvation. And your transformed life, my friend, could help them towards a similar walk. We've got to live to die. The second thing is that we want to live for, and that's what we want to present to you this morning. Please give me a little bit of extra time today as we just talk through these things. We're going to talk about what we want to um, relaunch as a church. We feel that for the last couple of um, months, actually, and perhaps even years, we've been trying to get people connected to one another. And that's had some success and not, and other times not. And, and we want to let this heart of us connecting to one another become something that becomes a value for us. And it means that it can be hard, just like I've been talking this morning. And it means time aside to create moments where I come and share with people in what we call an open home. Open home is what we will be calling our whatever life group or connect groups. We want to give it a new name to re-envision the heart of us connecting on, in smaller groups. And what we will be doing practically is the elders will be starting open homes in various places across the city. And, and from that, we're going to give you the opportunity. And this morning, we're going to give you some forms where you can fill in, hey, this is my, I'm interested in it. There's my name, my telephone number. I'm interested in joining an open home. And once we've got all the names together, we're going to then launch it and say, okay, we're there, we're there in whatever area of the city. That'll be firstly um, led by the elders and, and some leaders. And so out of that, we're going to then trust the Lord to multiply it and grow it. But we want to launch it this morning from this premise of, God, we, we're interested in growth. We're interested in transformation. And one of the ways in which it will happen is if we connect one to one. Because Sundays ain't working for that only. You all look very, very good this morning. But I know nothing about what you've gone through this week. You don't know nothing about what I've been through. You don't know what to pray for and vice versa. And we, we learn together and we grow closer together and transformation can come in a smaller in a better way, in that way. So, I wanna, I'm just at the end, we'll hand out forms and, and we'll remind you of this. Another thing that we're really passionate about is our young people. We want to keep on investing in our young people. What happens behind the scenes in this church is often um, energized by the young people. I want to recognize them and honor them for who they are and what they do. But we as a church feel like God has called us in this community of Bulawayo to invest in our young people. And so currently what we do is we have debrief on a Friday night and, and uh, there's an opportunity for us to, to minister to young people in that way. And we get over 100 kids here on a Friday night, those of you who don't know. We believe that God is calling us to let that not become just a moment, but a movement to impact the city and its young people. And one of the practical ways in which we want to do it is through investing more in our leaders. And what God has also done is He's sending people our way to come and help us. And so last year we had a young girl here from the Czech Republic called Aneshka Krajnikova. And she's coming back in February to come and serve in this local church and more than just the young people. But we want to keep on investing in that. And one of the practical ways that I want to just lay before you this morning is that years ago, just before COVID, we had a thing going called The Well. It was a house that was made available to young adults to live in and create a, a place where, where young people could come to and just be encouraged and discipled. We feel the time has come for us to do the same. We feel that there are a couple of young adults that could go and live there and actually be available. And we'll obviously have boundaries to help them that kids don't just arrive randomly. But, but we're looking for a house where we can do that from. We're trusting the Lord that we will find a suitable place, and I'm putting it out there to you as congregation members, saying if you know about such a place, and it's got to be fairly central. You can't put it out there towards 
you know, North End or too far away from the from the uh, the city area um, where we particularly are as a as a congregation meeting. And so I'd love to ask you to to pray with me. We want to launch well number two um, soon, and use that as an opportunity to serve our young people, because souls transformed lives is what we exist for. The third thing that we are going to give much attention to is by the end of this month, we have a friend that will come, George Abers. You know him from a church called Highway Church. And he's going to sit with us as elders. And we're going to strategically plan into what we're going to be doing in the property. We feel that the time has come for us to now give attention to what should be done from the property. We know that we want to have a facility that could accommodate this, obviously. But we feel that there's more to it that we need to tap into. And he's just an incredible strategist in helping us to, to mani- manage finding what it is or ascertain what God is calling us to. So by the end of the month, we're going to start getting together and plan for that. And so that's very exciting. I also want to just show you a short video that, that we want to talk about. And you know that as a church, we are not part of a denomination. We are part of a friendship group of churches. And... and there are a number of them all over the world that we connect to. Most of them we don't know. It's just because we have similar values that we connect. Many of them have been around to visit us, and they will keep on visiting us. But this group of guys, they've just given it a name called Genesis Collective. It's not really the name, the issue. The issue is the, the relationship. And what they are doing is, is calling us together for an opportunity. And I want to just lay it out this morning. I want to show you this video. And let's just let you watch and, and observe and understand that what we are doing here in Bulawayo is part of a bigger expression. So do we have that video available? Could we quickly watch it? Thanks. And they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates or times or seasons that the Father has set by his own authority. But you, all of you, will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses, my storytellers, in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That remarkable passage in Acts 1 verse 8 is the vertebra around which the Acts of the Apostles are spun and for 2,000 years the church has bought into that mandate. Well, about six years ago, a group of friends got together here in Southern California feeling like God was drawing us together for something we didn't know what it was. Out of a time of prayer and reflection and conversation, it became apparent that God wanted us to be together. But we knew it wasn't just friendship. It was together on mission. And it has been six remarkable years of exploring what that would look like. We landed on three primary ideas. First is that we will mobilize every person on their global gospel adventure. Second, and we will give ourselves to leadership, growth, and development. And thirdly, we will create Jesus communities, planting churches throughout the wastelands of our world. That has been an extraordinary adventure. But towards the end of last year, a few of us begin to pontificate, what would it look like if we gathered together, every believer, in a nation that we have no footprint in, in a nation that has a light gospel presence, And the more we prayed and the more we discussed it, the more excited we began to be. And pretty soon Albania began to emerge as the place where God wanted us to put our feet down. Albania is the only Muslim country in Europe. It has a very light gospel presence. And we thought, well, let's do it in July because most countries have some vacation during the month of July. But why? To whom? To what end? For everyone. Leaders and non-leaders alike, dads, moms, singles, old, young, gathering together, firstly to encounter Jesus in a new and fresh way. Secondly, to worship and create a climate of intimacy and impact with Jesus. Thirdly, to pray on our knees with humility to see God reach that country and that part of the world. Fourthly, to open up the scriptures and let the scriptures transform us and shape us and mold us and mobilize us. And then lastly, to enjoy friends, make new friends, and see what God would do in that space. But we did say it's more than just together. It's together on mission. So when the time is done, teams will go into some of the churches in Albania that have indicated interest. We'll have 
people go into the churches that we work with in Western Europe and the Middle East, have teams go down into Greece, working with the refugees, all of that driving the idea that we are together on mission. We would love you there, whether you're a leader or not, because we are together on mission. 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 So just part of our expression of a church is to do things together, locally and internationally. And so these are just simple ways to to help us towards what we are called to do locally. And so there's an opportunity in Albania. I don't know how many of you even know where Albania is, but it is said there was that little green, um, if you go back to that map of um, the world, there was a little green over there. You see that? That's Albania, only Muslim country in Europe. And so what they will be doing is to gather people from all over the world. We're working together with those churches and what God has called us here. We go to them, they come to us. And so it'll be an opportunity. So if you're interested, you're welcome to talk to us about it. Things are rolling, as, as, as you can imagine. Um, there you have to plan for these things. But part of it is helping us to be faithful in what God has called us here. And so I, I want to conclude this morning. Thanks for your extra time to give in terms of just listening. But we need to envision one another. We need to strengthen one another to what God has called us to. Father, we thank you just for this morning. We thank you for the incredible joy of being part of church, not just King City. We pray for all the churches in the city, Lord God, that you will make them fruitful. Lord God, that they will enjoy an incredible 2024. But thank you that we can also pray for ourselves and as we go into our prayer and fasting week from tomorrow, Lord God, that we will be stirred by what happened in the churches that we will be looking at every day. But Lord, I thank you that, that we will be as a church, as an, and a fruitful group of people. Lord Jesus, that you will help us to, to recognize the call of God in our lives and be faithful with that. Lord, we thank you that the four hard things will be four, become four glorious things too. As we say, Lord Jesus, we're willing to die to ourselves. We're willing to hate our lives for the benefit of your kingdom. To love you more. We're willing to serve you. We're willing to follow you. We thank you that from that there's be fruit forthcoming, Lord God. Lord Jesus, that we'll be able to bear such fruit that it will bring glory and honor to you. We thank you, Father, that it will mean that our lives will be kept for eternity. That one day we will be with you and that we will receive the Father's honor. What a joy and a delight. We thank you for this, Father. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.